0: Welcome to this episode of Turkish TV Time. Today, we're talking about The Club uh, Season 1, Episode 3, where we learn a lot more about Matilda's history, and we learn more about how obnoxious Rochelle is. So (laughs) it's really a win-win for me in terms of my preformed opinions about these characters um I am not drinking any tea but I might make some seems like a tea kind of evening to me watching Sophia and her down jacket is making me feel cold even though it's 80 degrees here
1: I mean it's pretty darn cold
2: so Sophia's down jacket's the closest thing to tea that anyone
1: has here right now oh <laughs> it's so cold
0: <laughs> okay so now Sophia is going to take us through what the hell happened in this episode. Lots of stuff. Good luck.
1: We start with Matilda and her lover who we found out. His name is Mumtaz, the previous episode. So his he's Muslim and she's Jewish. So we already know that's... An issue to begin with um so they're kissing by the pigeon coop and they have like this wonderful i guess relationship and they're looking at the horizon and she's saying how she feels trapped in the building and how like he's her father's right hand man and he's like telling her that he's her everything and whatever and this guy's like wearing a dark coat and looks very similar to whoever matilda killed on the roof Um, which we will talk about in a second so then rachel is at her mom's house i don't know if this happened already no i think it happens later on i'm not gonna spoil it for now so she's pretty upset because um she's rachel and she's upset i can't remember what she's upset about at this specific moment but i don't know if it's did she already find out her mom was a murderer i think not yet
0: Uh, she's been kicked out of the orphanage oh right that's what she's screaming about in this particular scene
1: Um, and so she finds her mom's ticket to Israel which makes her upset I guess and then so she threatens her mom that she's going to go back to the orphanage and her mom's like you don't you can't stop me with some papers just because like you I got released from the orphanage or whatever and like then Matilda's like, well, I don't understand why you keep coming back to the apartment. Like, Where were you last night? And she's like, it's not of your business, whatever. I'm a very rebellious teen. I don't care. <laughs> and she has a hole in her sweater, which I still don't understand what that was because she's just like, it's a moth sweat, like hole. But I don't know if it, it could be like a cigarette burn or something. I don't know. That was kind of confusing. And so she asks Matilda about her father and Matilda is not able to answer the question. Um, So she goes back to the orphanage and like screams at David and says like, how dare you just like give me to a stranger? Um, Like, why did you tell me my mother had died and all of this stuff or like that her mother had abandoned her? Um, And he's like, well, you know, I did lie, but like there's like it was to protect you, whatever classic. Kind of like parent spiel about why you like kids. And so then uh, we're at the club, they can't find Salim anywhere. So like Orhan is kind of freaked out. The club is full of people. Um, it's fully booked for the night. Nobody knows like where this guy could be. And I think Chelebi like sets up someone to follow him or something so they can find him. And then Chelebi's talking to Matilda no to Rachel. um no Rachel goes to like talk to Cherubi and so then Matilda is like ironing and doing some stuff and this guy who's the one of the migrants from Anatolia tells um Matilda that Cherubi needs to talk to her so then what happens is that Rachel is like trying to buy out her mother because she realizes that her mother is like paying, like doing this job at the well not she realizes David tells her that her mother is doing this job at the club to like pay for whatever she well not whatever she did what she did, um and so she's like giving him money and saying like leave my mother alone whatever, um and then Rasha is like tr- like saying to well Matilda arrives and she sa- says like apparently this is something personal and this guy's not letting me pay your debt, um and so she's like oh are you paying him with sex or what and like this girl is just being super she's
0: so vile. She's just like so
1: stereotypical. It's weird. Um, And so then he starts making all these comments that like are referencing that he knows Matilda from something like he well he also says that she's a murderer. So of course, Tresha is like extremely upset by that because of course she is because anyone would be honestly like let's be real about this. Your long lost mother is a murderer. So she runs out. <laughs> it's not the best news. <laughs> um and then she says like you should go to israel so basically she's also revealing that she saw the ticket um and so matilda's like very upset about it Chelevi's just like meh around there and so she goes to keep washing stuff clothes i guess sheets that she washes or i don't even know what it is um and then she's like so upset by that she starts bleeding and uh, stains all the white linens and then we see Selim like really sad in his house and he's just like stuck there. Um, and Mat- like Matilda realizes that she's bleeding. So she leaves, but I'll, Oh, cause she pinches herself with a safety pin. I think her hand, I don't know what the meaning of that is in any case. And so she's just like walking and she's very upset and she sees, um, I don't even know she sees something on the window it might be the tv or something um and so rachel goes to be sad with david's son who's in love with her and basically he's saying like you should be happy like you found your mother you can come visit the orphanage whenever she's like well she's a murderer like how would i ever want to live with this woman um basically i think he can't really answer that because like what's he going to (laughs) say honestly like what do you say in that situation (laughs) um so then we have um this very elegant woman walking to the club it turns out she's orhan Orhan mother i think Chelebi called her because he's like worried that they're not going to make the opening i um, think she so... just showed
0: up because she was coming to the opening night for fun for party and then well, wasn't that I the previous it night where... opening night
1: because like the, the real opening night was the previous night when Selim didn't show up.
0: No, that was the preview. Oh. That was for like the press and stuff.
1: Oh. Okay. So then our friend Rachel decides to go to Tasula for, you know, love and a home. But Tasula's like, what the hell's wrong with you? Because like she knows that Rachel is with Ismet. So. Mm-hmm. She's like, go and, like, grow up like you're a child. Like, what the hell is wrong with you? Um, like, give me back my skirt and leave me alone. Like, I don't want to have anything to do with you. So, of course, she gets upset and she's, like, waiting there. And then Matilda goes to Chelevi's house and asks to use the phone. Um, and she makes, I can't. I think, does she try to call Selim or who does she call? She calls
0: um, Monsieur David just to see if Rachelle's with him.
1: Oh, right, right. Um, So then she has a conversation with Chelebi, like about kids. And I think he's like trying to, I don't know if the word is pride, but he's like trying to talk about the past and stuff. And she's like, says that she's just trying to pay her debt and leave and that she can't find Rochelle, so she's kind of worried about her, which I don't know why she would think that Chadavi would care about that. Um, <laughs> or maybe he's seen her, whatever. And basically, he, like, tells her that she's never going to pay off her debt and that she's screwed because she's stuck forever. Um, and he picks up the phone, whatever. They just have a weird interaction. And as she leaves, like... Oh, this is this later, like another girl's coming in. I guess that's another scene of the same episode. So she goes downstairs in this building and she goes to her home and she finds Rachel there, who she's like doing dividing up the room into two sides. Um, but she is like very she's like more calm because now she found her. And so they both she she forces her to leave. Um, and she takes her to the ASEO building and she says like, this is where I was born. Like, this was my life. Um, the window on the second floor was like my room. And, you know, I, I had a really happy life with my brother and my dad, except for my mom who died when I was your age. But then they issued a wealth tax and they took my father and my brother to a work camp. Um, because someone reported them for allegedly not paying the fee, even though they paid the fee um, and they both died at the work camp. And so she was left alone at 16. She went upstairs to the, what is it? Like the rooftop of the building where the pigeons are. And she hears a conversation between two men. One of them is Mumtas. And the other one is some guy who's paying him a ton of cash. Um, and it's he like the implication is a mumtas ratted out her dad as for not paying the wealth tax yep um and so she killed him because he betrayed her family i don't know i think she doesn't tell her that he's her father but she kills the guy because he like really made her family's life well he made her life very miserable in several ways um and he was like her father's most trusted employee and like all the stuff and I mean, they just have like kind of a heart to heart conversation where finally, it seems like Rochelle has a little more empathy for her mother and like has more understanding of why she did what she did. Um, so they leave the the SAO building and then they have, I don't know if it's breakfast the next, the next day or dinner together. And they're just like enjoying a glass of something and so Selim is still in his apartment locked in and Orhan, I think it's Orhan finds him in his apartment and's like, dude, like <laughs> get up, come on. Like you're gonna, you need to perform and um, you need to, you know, get your shit together and um, like, just go and like, come on, do your performance, whatever. I mean, I can't really remember the details of the conversation. I don't think it was that relevant. He gives him unless... a pep
0: talk. That's basically it.
1: Yeah. Well, and then our dear friend Rachel finds like some lingerie in her mom's closet. Um, and of course has to wear it. And she draws the the like the pantyhose line on the back of her pantyhose which I don't get why she would do that if she, like if the I don't know
0: yeah I didn't understand I, that either I'm wondering if it's like a fancy brand thing or something
1: I think so but I think originally it was for the seams like because the like they had se- well, of oh, course yeah, um, yeah, yeah. whatever those socks whatever they're called pantyhose had the seams there Um, But then it became like a trendy thing. I think I read something about it sometime, but I can't remember now. (laughs) Um, But she's really bad at drawing a straight line on the back of her leg, which is understandable. (laughs) That would be so. So she goes to the Lux Cinema where our friend Peachy Ismet parks his car (laughs) to pick up fancy ladies, Um, and she's like all dressed up with her lipstick and she's looking older and I don't know what she did to her hair. Um and so everyone's like haha well apparently she wants to move into Pakise at this point. And so they're going on a nice little date and they're going for a drive. Um and Matilda's like much more relaxed I think cuz she finally like fixed things with um her with her daughter but she sees the cellllybyes like abusing this girl like like prostituting her out so a girl she brought he brought from the country so he's forcing her to go to certain places to like have sex with men I think
0: no right? he's forcing her to have sex with him right that's the girl that she mm. saw coming into his apartment
1: no really yeah right I don't know I thought he because he it says like he's taking her to clip joint
2: oh that... um, I, he, i'm pretty sure I'm, I'm pretty sure he's forcing her to have sex with him
0: i'm pretty so... sure clip joint is an abortion clinic but i could be wrong oh i don't oh know my god
2: but i, I think don't remember that... i don't remember what was said in turkish but um i would
1: i would err on the side of sammy's interpretation because he's a vile man <laughs> yeah <laughs> So she's having a conversation with Tasula, who's there. And she's saying like, you know, Rachel's lucky that she has a mother, even though her mother is kind of crappy. But basically Rachel like finds a, like needs to, like she wants to help out this girl. She wants to free her from his claws. Um, in the meantime, our dear friend, um, eh, Rachel is in Pakize In the cab. And she finds, like, a note from Diana Foster or, like, an invitation. It's a, Yeah, it's, like, an invitation. And she's, like, super intrigued. They're on the cliff. I wonder where that cliff is because it looks like the Prince's Islands, but I guess it's somewhere in Istanbul. Um,
2: yeah, remember, there aren't as many buildings back then. <laughs> yeah. so actually green in Istanbul.
1: <laughs> and so they're, like, in the car and... You know, having their little lovey-dovey romantic moments, and how they're family now, and whatever. And he's like, "Well, I mean, I don't expect you don't you shouldn't expect like a perfect life because you know that I can't provide that for you." Um, and uh, and 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 then he says like, "You should go and, and see some other people. Like, I'm not suitable for you. I'm gonna ruin your life." And she's like, "You know, you're just like." making decisions for me and i don't think that's necessary um so he's doing all these car metaphors <laughs> which whatever and she's like oh i just want to live whatever this is such a, it's i think it's kind of like a a classic conversation and so she kisses him and they have a nice little kiss And then it starts raining really hard and she gets out of the car, I think, to experience the rain like they did the first time they were together.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And he like literally drives off, (laughs) which I did not understand. Um, And she's like, what the fuck? So she walks back really angry, all wet, and she sees him and of course her tights run. um, And she sees him. Like bringing out these like very fancy ladies with a ton of gifts from somewhere to his cab, and she's just like looking very sad, and he makes eye contact with her, um, but just like keeps going and leaves, and she's just like left alone and dejected. Um, and then Selim comes back, and he's making all of these demands for his show, um, but it seems like he's finally you know getting it together. He's practicing. They're all ready for the show. Um, he gets angry because the guy who's dressing him, like he wants Matilda to dress him rather than whomever is dressing him. Um, and Chenevi's like, whatever's fine. Um, so then Matilda gets home and she sees Peachy Ismet. He's waiting for her outside and he's like oh you shouldn't lie to me like about where you live and all this stuff and like don't lie to me again and so she's like oh if you kiss me like well i'll shut up whatever and then matilda's coming out of the house and she hears a conversation and he she hears him calling her i said so he knows like she knows that she's putting up a front of her not being muslim and matilda starts questioning her like who is this guy like uh, you're young, like this guy's gonna leave you. Like, do you really want to commit yourself to this guy? And she gets really sad. Um, and you know, they have this kind of a conversation about love because she's like, Well, you don't Rasha's like, you don't love me to her mother. Um, and they have a whole thing. And then we go to the club opening where there's a ton of people and everyone's really excited. And Selim gets some roses or candies or something. And then think, again yeah flowers but they're in a box which is weird yeah. um and then Matilda um gives him the the road the thingies uh Mr and Mrs Ka- olu and I don't know who they are but maybe they're his parents or some random people um and you know she's like giving him a pep talk like you're going to be having an amazing night but she also sees um, this girl that Cellebi is like kind of abusing again, and she tells her to meet. Her, she tells her to meet her back backstage during the show. Um, and then Ismet and Rachel are driving around. The show begins. Um, it's a nice show about he sings about the stars and dreams and whatever. And Chelebi's is just like watching in his suit. And in the meantime, um, Matilda gets this girl out and she gets her her ID so she can escape. Um, and then she takes her earrings off. I don't know why. I guess it's so she can get some money for it. Yeah, like she gives the money girl her away.
0: fancy earrings so that she has some money.
1: Yeah. Um, And then... Rachel and Ismet are really stupid and they're playing a little game where she blindfolds him, blindfolds him yeah. while he's driving, which sounds like a really wonderful idea. Um, in the meantime, our friend Selim is doing an amazing performance in flying and these idiots crash, but then the crash, I guess, want, makes them want to have sex somehow. Yeah. So they have sex in the car, it seems. Um, and the performance goes wonderfully. Um, where While Matilda looks at Chalebi's drawer in like a very concerned way. I don't know if she's like thinking about helping other girls or what.
0: She So she found the photo.
1: Oh, right. She found the photo where she's in the, one of the ASEO shipping Right.
0: Company. So she's like, what the hell?
1: Yeah. And so then um, after their wonderful little sex moment, um, she's like oh don't worry like I'm not gonna be like clingy with you and then she confesses that she her name is Rochelle and she's Jewish Um, and he slaps her which I don't entirely get I guess it's because she lied again but he like gets in the car and I think for a second time leaves her or we don't know cuz the episode. Yeah, ends.
0: he he leaves her again. Twice in one episode.
1: God. Trash.
0: now we're going to move into our gossip slash banter slash spilling the non-existent tea section. Um, I think we have a lot to discuss, (laughs) especially my hatred of Rochelle.
2: Wow. That, that one never runs out
0: that, that well. (laughs) it really never runs out. (laughs) Um, So many moments with her, this episode, so much unnecessary screaming. Um, it, I I understand it was pretty tough when she was like, Matilda, do you love me? And Matilda's like, uh. <laughs> <laughs> See, I don't. I don't. I've never not in this viewing, not in prior viewings. I've never
2: been that annoyed by Rochelle. Like, obviously, her behavior is like extra. But I think I just like feel so bad for. Her. Her whole like her whole upbringing and her origin story and her dad being a piece of shit that I don't like it never really registered. <laughs> yeah, like yeah, because like I don't know, like with hey, be on the other hand, like I've always I like, continue to want to kill him. Yeah, yeah. um, and I you know spoiler alert, there's a there's a redemption arc for him that I absolutely hate um, mm. as the series goes on. <laughs> so he for me is like persona non grata fuck it fuck you but um yeah Rochelle's never bothered me that much personally (laughs) Ismet bothers me more than Rochelle for sure that's
0: really funny is that well obviously domestic abuse is not acceptable but uh Rochelle annoys me a lot more than Ismet um and the whole like like covering his eyes and then he speeds up and then like almost killing themselves and other people makes them super horny is like i i hate both of of you they
2: yeah they kind of deserve each other i mean they they both have they they both have they both have um extremely unresolved not talked about traumas that will well rush as we basically know but we'll learn more about ismet um so i think yeah, they need therapy. Everyone needs therapy in most TV shows. <laughs> 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 he's, he's the
1: other goon's Child, right? What? Whatever Other Goon's name is. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, but I well, I think the debate about who's more annoying for me for sure, Rachel. Like she she gets so over the top when she gets upset that it's kind of like creepy. Yeah. Like I don't, like her body just like goes insane.
0: Yeah, but so that, uh, but like, that? let me challenge you guys.
2: Is this is this like internalized sexism? Maybe there are men acting in way more vile ways than a teenage girl. For vile, sure. But- for sure.
0: <laughs> the shrieking of her is like.
2: But this, I'm telling you, this is this is internalized. This is it not-
1: could be, it could be. She just seems insane. Is what's she's kind of like creepy because the faces she makes, but. I, I understand what you're saying and it's very true. Chelebi is also a sociopath for sure because he's just like making oh, yeah. the same face God, whereas as he like rapes and abuses yeah. people and yeah. he makes them basically sex slaves. Um,
2: that actor can't get a break. He's always playing evil people. <laughs> he's actually, he's actually like a cool guy, and he's also a musician. But he always gets cast in these like evil. He doesn't wolves. even
0: have that evil of a face. But yeah, I guess he's good at he's,
2: playing evil. He's on this network historical drama right now, um, which is about. Um, um Antakya um slash Hatay in in southeastern mm-hmm. Turkey it's it's basically if you know a map or listeners are aware of like the map of Turkey it's like a little island that juts into where it really should be Syria but it's <laughs> Turkey. It really should be in the sense of like it looks like a very strange kind of peninsula into Syria is what I mean and I'm not trying to cause controversy here um <laughs> but um that that city in particular was under the direct control of France, and then it became its own republic extremely briefly, and then it pledged allegiance to Mustafa Kemal and became part of Turkey. But the, this historical drama that the guy who plays Cenebi is in um, is about that time, that transition from French Uh, being a French colony to being independent to being part of Turkey Um, and the of course the guy who plays Chedeby plays the evil French colonial like governor of uh or something like that of Hutsay and his name is pl and he has a ridiculous accent when he speaks <laughs> Turkish like a French accent. It's so funny. That <laughs> anyway, sounds he's amazing. Evil. He's evil everywhere, but he's like more funny evil in the other one because he has that stupid accent. <laughs> anyway, that's my tangent.
1: Mm, yeah I think I mean he's crazy. But I do think Ismet is very is very insane. Like this episode we see him how does, he, how does
2: he just leave her twice
0: twice and
1: she doesn't even <laughs> take him to task for the first time she yeah just, hey. for the first
2: time just they just like meet up and she's yeah. like oh hi can we go for another ride and
0: yeah. she's
1: like, no <laughs> I think she's just looking for love obviously because she hasn't had any um, another
0: um Rochelle is the worst moment <laughs> is when she goes to tasulo's and was like hey want to be oof, oof. and was like bitch get out of here yo i if we didn't have
2: like a really packed history section already that made more sense for this episode i, I was thinking also just like treacherous friends in tv <laughs> would be a yeah. great deep dive to do but this is like one of the top top uh treacheries that i've ever seen like what really
0: the hell? bad <laughs> and she oh, wore yeah. her skirt to go and seduce her yes. boyfriend <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it's unbelievable
1: yeah <laughs> that's pretty creepy but also how old is Tasula? she looks way older than she's i think she is. is
2: i think she is a bit older like i think she was like not living in the orphanage i mean i think she was probably in the orphanage initially but like she was of age for sure um by the time like the show starts so she's probably like two to three years older okay or they just met on the streets i don't really know how they met i no, assume no, that was in the orphanage orphan from what she's saying. Yeah. yeah i just thought it was like more of a, a jewish orphanage that but and is greek from what i know but it could just be that it's like run by the jewish community but it's like anyone or it's like a
1: minority orphanage if yeah. that makes sense is
0: yeah. david the head of the orphanage or was he just kind of in charge of rochelle i think he's in charge of the orphanage because he's like
1: yeah. in that he okay, owns office. it i think
0: okay yeah. okay
1: as like it's probably like a charity or something i don't know yeah
2: yeah i think he's just a respected member of the community He probably has he like income from something else but he also does this
1: mm. well he also was getting her the the stuff to go to israel so i wonder
2: yeah he just got
1: connections <laughs> so i'm really confused about all of like why does chelabi need to make so many women his like sex slaves why does he need so many people
2: i mean why does any like abuser need anything like i know but he's just a monster
1: (laughs) it just seems excessive well
2: he has like he has access and risky and he has access to tons of women he's not really ever going to get punished for it like how how would he get punished even if he got caught how would he get punished for it like Mm. i don't like orhan is completely clueless and like in so much debt that he doesn't notice anything right and and everyone else is scared of him because he's got either their ids or like dirt on them or whatever so he i think like unfortunately like a lot of i hate to say this but i think a lot of people with his access and the amount of dirt uh, you know on people that could potentially rat them out would behave in the same way um or at least in a very abusive way
1: yeah I mean I also like have a bad feeling about Orhan and feels that something is bad is going to come out from him because like I feel like the club owner can't be like so good in quotation marks whereas like everyone that works for him is kind of like yeah. sketchy mm-hmm.
2: it's a murder palace like H.H. H. Holmes. <laughs> It's not false spoiler.
1: <laughs> false spoiler. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm conflicted about his him and like I don't get why they had his mother come in. Like I didn't see the mm. point to that.
2: You're definitely picking up what they're putting down, Sophia. Yes, you're doing you a great
1: just, job, Sophia. You just,
2: you just need, <laughs> you just need more information, but you're like picking up on the right breadcrumbs.
0: <laughs> Sophia is Sherlock Holmes this is why we can't
2: watch like unfortunately we just cannot do shows that any of us have watched because then we like have these rump discussions where we're like great job Sophia
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah 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 it's true it's definitely a different gossip section
1: Hmm. I mean I also thought it was interesting the whole Montaz story Hmm. I feel like there's probably a misunderstanding there if not he's the worst because he was already going to marry the owner of everything like Why would he have to betray her? Like, yeah, I mean, I don't know.
0: Empire,
1: or was everything taken away?
0: Uh, I don't know. I don't know what what the true story is on him, but like, I feel like in the flashback they made him look really unhappy with her announcement that she was pregnant. (laughs) Mm. But yeah, yeah, I don't know if that's to like make us think he's bad, and then like give us a surprise redemption for him or something but
2: his body language to her saying that she was going to tell her dad what, about them just in, before the pregnancy thing mm. was very negative but then like I mean initially he seemed not enthused about the pregnancy but then he hugged her in a way that made it seem like oh maybe he was he just stalled for a bit there because he was so surprised but then he was happy so it's like yeah it's really hard to read from what was shown it, like exactly where his head was at with Mm. Rashad and like the baby news and stuff and yeah like I think it leaves enough room for doubt about like was he actually betraying them or was something like was there more that Matilda didn't see that you know maybe she made a mistake
1: yeah for sure yeah that's a thing but also I like I keep thinking about her situation like she Found out she's pregnant from this guy, she's like 16 or however old. She doesn't have her dad or her brother, but it seems like she was already pregnant before they left, yeah. Because she was like um,
2: puking in the sink in that one
1: scene, yeah. The other episode, so I'm just very confused as to like, I feel like that this is gonna sound really bad, but like, kind of going to prison. Like gives takes a little bit of the uncertainty out of her life at that point because she's just like all alone no money no like a a single mother in a place where it's probably not very okay to be a single mother at that time I don't think anywhere in the world it was okay to be a single mother but Mm -hmm. like I feel like it made her life less uncertain in a certain way which is kind of sad but And we know from watching
0: Turkish shows that prison is really nice where you basically have a sleepover with your friends and cook together and stuff. So,
2: And and like make music and play games.
1: Yeah, and wear your own clothes and have your own bed. And yeah, it's great. And have random amnesties every 10 years.
2: I've I've always thought there's a problem in like Turkish media about like tur- tv shows and movies about like prison looking not that bad
0: <laughs> it really <laughs> looks great <laughs> like i'm sure it's i'm 100 sure it's not but it really they make it look not that bad at all yeah,
1: yeah. it's all the scheme to get you imprisoned in turkey Just,
2: just <laughs> meanwhile we've got like what is it midnight express that oliver stone movie yeah where, maybe it's like, just guy... a
0: reaction to that yeah it's like like, let's go all the way the other direction yeah um the during the um wet rachel montage when she's walking home i really liked that song i assume it's from the same group
2: uh no wait which one was that the one where like um uh matilda's also like walking out angrily after cutting her hand doing laundry or what montage
0: uh yeah it's after um Rochelle's walking home in the rain and it's in Ladino um it's like a woman and oh. there's like a little bit of a man singing oh no
2: that's um that's not the same group that's uh, Yasmin Levy she is Israeli um with her roots in Turkey like her family left Turkey I don't know how long how many generations before her um but she sings in Ladino, she sings in Turkish, she sings in Hebrew, she sings in Arabic, she does all kinds of singing um, <laughs> and gives concerts in Turkey and stuff too. She actually came to Durham a few years ago. I was in Poland, but I got my mom and grandma tickets and she's the bomb. That's that's my Yasmin Levy side. That's side super bar. cool. No, I really yeah. like
0: the song, so I'm glad we got yeah, to yeah. shout her out. Yes. I really liked that Selim... Stood up for Matilda, even though Chelvy was like, "You know, you're hiring a murderer." Yeah, he was just like, "Yeah, deserves a second
2: chance." (laughs)
1: Yeah, but I felt like he was—I don't know—he was like pushing his luck a little bit because he was asking for all these things. They get used to it. That's all he does is push his luck. (laughs) (laughs) That kind of makes him into an annoying character. Big, big (laughs) baby (laughs) Satan. Yeah, he's he's definitely not, um,
0: he he definitely, you know, has his quirks, so, but <laughs> I like the show. Sure.
2: Yeah, the show's good.
0: Yeah.
2: I like that montage. I like the rehearsal montage.
0: Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. I love a rehearsal. I love any <laughs> montage, but rehearsal montage was great. Rehe- <laughs> rehearsal and training for like battle montages. Yeah, one? yeah. <laughs> or like sports movie montage.
1: Sports movie or makeovers. <laughs> In my or makeover life. montage. So uh,
2: genres of montage. Montages are so great. Montages. <laughs> I-
1: it would be like a
0: 36 hour deep dive <laughs> in the <laughs> history section. <laughs> All right, should we move on? OK, so now we're going to move on into our history section where we are going to be talking about the wealth tax that Matilda told Ro- Rochelle about this episode. Um, and Ezgi has done some really good research about it. So I'm going to turn it over to her. OK, thanks, Sammy. So I want to shout out, first
2: cite my source, and shout out this um, uh, professor. Her name is Didek Guven. Um, I so this book that I'm referencing is called the 6th and 7th September events or the events of 6th and 7th September in the context of the early Republican periods um, policies regarding minorities in Turkey so that's my you know on my feet translation of the the Turkish title of this Um, it's as far as I know, only available in the original German and, and in a Turkish translation, I don't think it exists in English, but if you do fi- if you do get a copy of the Turkish translation, at least in the back, there is a fairly lengthy, I think 20-ish pages in very small font, um, English language summary of the full um, book. And the book is actually uh, Professor Guan's um Doctor, doctoral thesis written in 2005 um, uh, for, for a university in Germany so this is my source I think from what I can tell is the one of the most authoritative if not the most authoritative recent uh, texts on the 1955 September 1955 Istanbul pogrom which will we've talked about a, a tiny bit or already in this season of our show and we'll unfortunately, have to talk about it a lot more uh, as this show goes on as, as the club goes on. But this book itself also takes a really deep dive into the Ottoman and early Turkish Republican history that leads up to the 19th, the events of 1955, the targeted attacks on minority businesses and individuals in minority communities in Istanbul and across Turkey, but especially Istanbul. Um, so the, the wealth tax is a huge, stepping stone toward this kind of climactic event, awful climactic event in 1955. But before we can even get to the wealth tax, there's a little bit more history that you all unfortunately have to listen to because it's very, I say unfortunately, because it's not, none of it's good, Um, (laughs) but it happened and it's not talked about very much. And actually a good part of the first chapter of uh, Professor Guven's uh, thesis slash book is about how limited scholarship has been about all of this stuff. Very often, if it if it was described at all in academic texts, it was described with the caveat of, well, this you know, anti-Semitism or anti-minority sentiment was imposed upon Turkish society by foreigners. It's not a Turkish thing. It's like you know, a, kind of like a virus that came from outside. So, kind of bizarre uh, revisionism there. Um, but her, she has she has no revisionism. She just kind of tells it like it is. And her central thesis is all about the emergence of quote-unquote Turkish identity um, following the collapse of a multi-ethnic state or empire, which was the Ottoman Empire. So um, yeah, the Ottoman Empire, as we've talked about before on the show, uh, lasted hundreds of years, multi-ethnic state toward, in its last century, nationalism and movements for national sovereignty among the various ethnic groups that were starting to think of themselves as ethnic groups, up. So initially, for example, Greece became an independent nation defined by Greek identity in the 1820s. And really, from that moment onward, in Europe, this was, this was the thing. It still is the thing. It, it, it didn't exist before the 1800s, really. But this national, this tendency to think of yourself as part of a nation um, with a unique, you know, whether it be linguistic identity or religious identity or both, Um, came to be in the 1800s. So you got Greece, you got Serbia, you got Romania, you got all these different former Ottoman lands, quote unquote, awakening, and it's spreading into Ottoman territory that was Ottoman, still Ottoman territory at the time. So in the 1850s, you get this Tanzimat reform period. Uh, It's kind of, I would say it's the Ottoman empires um, starting to be their last ditch effort to keep it together, essentially and that movement emphasizes ottomanism and being an ottoman citizen as opposed to thinking of yourself as part of any of these new national identities like kurdish turkish armenian whatever everything else or arab everything that's springing up at that time obviously it doesn't work one of the big reasons for its failure other than just you know how compelling this narrative of nationalism is is that the Uh, the sultan's kind of ethnic group, the quote-unquote Turkish, and I say quote-unquote because again all of these are quote-unquote in my mind at this point because they're just starting to define themselves, so at that point a Turkish identity comes to exist alongside the Armenian and the Kurdish and the Greek and all of them, and so that's, you know, that's the ethnic group that is in uh, positions of power in the state, so once they start to see themselves as not Ottoman but Turkish, it you know things really start to fall apart, and there's no real narrative there to keep everyone together under uh, the Ottoman flag. So uh, they try to do it under under a Turkish identity. Um, starting in early 1900s, um, we see the Young Turks, uh, the Committee of Union and Progress (CUP) um, that group, which, you know, we often hear about them in relation to um, the Armenian genocide and, and all those and, and all those events um, kind of pre, pre and during World War one around um, Nash, Turkish nationalism and and uh, forcible removal of minorities, etc. So, so, it's those folks who really, I guess, put the final nail in the coffin of Ottomanism and, and um, are the first kind of Turkish nationalists Or the first Turkish nationalist with a lot of power and a strong following their whole you know going back to the early 1900s their resentment was over the fact that there wasn't really a turkish middle class economically there was um a a huge presence of foreigners and i mean like truly foreigners like citizens of other countries in europe not ottoman citizens who were living and thriving throughout the Ottoman Empire through capitulations. As the Ottoman state weakened, it lost control over its far-flung territories. It had to start to make compromises with the uh, the other European powers, essentially. Hey, you know, Mr. Russian guy, you can move into uh, Istanbul and we'll give you this nice property and you, you won't be taxed as long as you, you know, are bringing in business and not starting, a. your government isn't starting a war. Um, Those kinds of, or with Germans, with the English and French. So you've got all kinds of legitimate foreigners living within the borders of the Ottoman Empire and reaping massive profits, not being taxed. This is causing resentment among Ottoman citizens and especially, again, these nascent Turkish nationalists who see themselves as, hey, we're the we're we are like the sons of Osman we are Turkish like truly Turkish and how dare these you know foreigners exploit us like this so that's that's factor number one factor number two are the people who aren't actually foreigners people who are true and full full fledged Ottoman citizens who've been in the Ottoman Empire for generations, who are not Turkish speaking and who are not Muslim so those are our, what I'll, I'll just call minorities throughout the rest of this segment. Um, you, you know, your, your Armenian uh, Christians, Greek Orthodox, Jewish, um, Sephardic-speaking Jews, etc. Those folks are also part of a, a robust middle class that is not Turkish-speaking and not Muslim. And they are lumped, unfortunately, into the same kind of mental category as the legitimate foreigners who are very exploitative I wouldn't say the, the minorities, there's no, nothing in my reading that suggests that they were actually like exploitative. I mean, they were just making money off of commerce and kind of minding their own business. They just, you know, had been in such roles for a long time. Um, As I've said in a prior segment, this season, you know, Istanbul's always been a major port city. And a lot of these folks came from whether it be Italy or, or other parts of the Mediterranean, um, hundreds of years before. So they just been there, you know, doing well for themselves for a while. Uh, but they get lumped in with the quote unquote foreigners just because their first language is not Turkish, and they're not Muslim. So the capitulations to foreigners end in 1914, with the start of World War One. Ottoman Empire obviously is dismembered in World War One. And what's left is the Republic of Turkey, um, with basically its current borders. The Treaty of Lausanne is negotiated in 1923 with the um, Allied Powers. Uh, so, so the Ottoman Empire was part of the axis in World War One. Um, the Allies, Allied Powers occupied Istanbul until the Lausanne Treaty was signed. Then they left um, after the Turkish War for Independence, um, led by Mustafa Kemal Atatürk as part of their agreement to leave, there were a few things I want to call out. So there was a citizenship law that basically the Lausanne Treaty paved the way to uh, the Turkish um, Grand Grand National Assembly introducing and accepting. That citizenship law conferred citizenship on everyone in in Turkey, all citizens, all people in Turkey um, who were, I guess, born, you know, to... I'm not sure exactly sure of the criteria, like the full-fledged foreigners who were citizen, citizens of like European countries who were just like living there during the occupation of Istanbul, obviously weren't citizens, but like the folks who were born in Istanbul, who regardless of minority status or not, or language or whatever, they were all given Turkish citizenship. And then the Lausanne Treaty also had a clause related to that. Um, that said that minorities could not be persecuted in because they because, you know, the whole kind of excuse for, for example, Greece coming in and trying to take the whole Aegean coast of what's now Turkey was to protect uh, the Greek, min- Greek minority in those cities. So like to remove any kind of justification for occupation, it was agreed to that minorities would be equally protected under the law. They're all citizens, et cetera. And the government's official line, of course, in the future was that there was no discrimination, nothing would be tolerated by the state. So really any kind of discriminatory policies that we're gonna talk about were pretty pretty sneaky. Like there was no kind of official communication saying this is what we're gonna do and we're, like, we're happy to do it, this is our policy. It was all sort of done through uh, secret directives and, and word of mouth with nationalists kind of like on the ground, let's say. Also worth noting in the early 1920s, massive population exchange with Greece, Greek speaking, or not even Greek speaking, Orthodox Christians, Greek Orthodox Christians in the Republic of Turkey were sent to Greece, and Muslims in Greece were sent to Turkey. I redacted my thing about language a second ago because they often didn't speak the language of the place they were sent to, and it was a very traumatic experience, Um, and it's also worth noting, and I actually didn't know this until I read, uh, until I was doing this research, I'd always assumed that like Istanbul just had, currently still has like basically the entire Jewish population, the entire Armenian population because, and the Greek population because it's a big city um, and everyone immigrated and you know, it makes sense that like statistically, anyone left would be in the big population center. uh, the the reality is that the minorities lived all across Anatolia um, up until the 1920s when the state essentially made them move to Istanbul, um, made them leave Anatolia, made them leave uh, Thrace. In the case of the, the Jewish minority there um, was was a few, I wouldn't say it was 100,000, it was a few tens of thousands of Jews living in Thrace, so like Edirne, you know, west of Istanbul near the Greek border. They were all Told to move to Istanbul, and I think it was basically because the government didn't trust them. Continued to not trust them in the interwar period, um, thinking that their loyalties would lie out lay elsewhere, and um, they kind of needed to have their to, to be kept an eye on. And also a big part of the nationalization project across um, the new Republic of Turkey was in kind of the heartland, so to speak, so standardizing the Turkish that was spoken and making sure everyone was speaking only Turkish. It just made it much easier if uh, the minorities were contained in Istanbul. Um, So as a foreshadowing of the wealth tax, there was a national Turkish commerce Unit union set up in the early, again, the early 1920s that started buying up minority owned businesses, mostly in Istanbul, um, under veiled threats and coercion. um, And that, it was, again, very, like I said, sneaky, kind of under the table. They didn't, like, claim, I mean, they claimed a decent number of businesses, but it wasn't, it wasn't to the level of the um, kind of the plunder of the wealth tax. But it foreshadowed those intentions, again, going back to wanting to set up a, a Muslim-Turkish-speaking middle class in this newly defined nation. Um, other interesting and depressing tidbits, minorities couldn't serve as bureaucrats in the Turkish- government um, until 1965, even though, again, they, under the 1924 citizenship law, had the full rights and privileges of all citizens. In practice, this wasn't the case. They also weren't allowed to have weapons in the military. They were only allowed to, like, build roads and buildings and stuff. They weren't given guns. Um, But the irony is that I mentioned the forcible migration of Jews in Thrace, Um, that was in 1941. The way they were moved was via a surprise military draft that sent them to work camps for a little under a year. And then they were basically told they could only live in Istanbul from then on. So it was a bizarre, horrible kind of short episode of, um, again, a forced forced moving of a group of, of minorities. There was also a concerted effort in the late 1920s, early 30s, throughout the 30s, to um, erase non-Turkish languages, and that includes those spoken by Muslim minorities, like the Kurds, the Laz, the Circassians, the, the, you know, part, all this is kind of going hand in hand with the Sun language theory, which postulated that all of the world's languages come from Turkish. It's been debunked, obviously. It's a pseudo, pseudo science. Um, it's been determined uh, fairly quickly. I think that was determined. Um, uh, for, there was a forced there, the Turkish language education was mandatory in public schools. Also, all of the minority-run schools from the pre-Republican days, early Republican days, were brought under the jurisdiction of the um, national Ministry for Education so they were all supervised their staff were replaced by ethnic Turkish quote unquote ethnic Turkish teachers so first language Turkish Muslim teachers and their weird you know weird side note: their salaries were mandatorily much higher than the salaries that uh, minority teachers could could ask for so at one school, the salaries of ethnic Turkish teachers consume like 40% of the minority school's budget, um, which is insane because it's like a small number of ethnic Turkish teachers consuming almost half of the school budget and the uh, ministry wouldn't give them a bigger budget. Um, and then also, I didn't know this, the last name, the surname law that was introduced in 1934 that basically told people you have to have a last name um, it also banned "quote unquote" ethnic-sounding last names. So anything that was like Kurtoğlu, like son of son of a Kurd, um, that kind of um, name, or like having Jan, Yan, Y A N at the end of your name, which is like a very Armenian suffix, wasn't allowed. Um, I assume like you know Jewish-sounding ones, similar, whatever that means, <laughs> also would be banned. Um, so anyway, that was a super long kind of. Uh, intro to various kind of discriminatory breadcrumbs that were being dropped leading up to the wealth tax. The wealth tax cal- comes about, in I'm just trying to get to my notes here, in 1942. Um, and this is, again, right after that whole weird, like, Thrace Jewish forced draft work camp thing. So they've already done this work camp thing once. Um, this is kind of take two Um We're in, we're deep into the second world war at this point, about three years in. Turkey is officially neutral, um, but very worried that either the Soviets or the Nazis will come in at this point because Turkey is right there. It's they're dealing with um out of control inflation. Um, you know, the economy is everyone is super tense about the possibility of war, and the minorities were never considered trustworthy members of society. So kind of, you know, keeping an eye on them, quote unquote. Um, so using all of this as an excuse, the Grand National Assembly decides that in order to stabilize the economy in this time of war and uncertainty, they are going to impose a wealth tax across the population. Of course, it's not across the population, it's across the minority the mon- minorities in the population and there's a whole um, elaborate and very messed up kind of tier system of like which what percent of your wealth do you have to pay um, of your perceived income let's say do you have to pay if you're greek orthodox if you're armenian christian if you're jewish um, or if you're muslim turkish And the Muslim Turkish one, spoiler alert, is like barely any tax. And then everyone else has to pay like basically more money than they actually have. Um, I say more money than they actually have, because again, it was based on your your tax bill was based on the tax um, collectors or the tax bureaucrats perception of what your businesses, real estate, et cetera, were worth. So they would literally like walk by you know, looking like they were just like a normal customer or like a normal person on the street, they would walk by a business and note, oh, well, you know, XYZ's hat store looks like it would make about 500,000 lira a year. Um, And then on that basis, they would get a tax bill for X hundreds of thousands of lira, um, even if the store was only making like a fifth of what the estimate was, they didn't care what the reality was, and you couldn't appeal the bill, like what you got charged was what you had to pay, and you had two weeks to pay it. Um, if you didn't pay it, the, the threat was that you were going to get sent to a work camp called Ash- near Ashkadeh, which is refer- it's referenced in, our, in in the club. Um, it's near Arzurum. Um, and sure enough, uh, people were sent to Ashkadeh. The numbers are uh, about about 1,200, a little over 1,200 people were sent to work camps, even though there was an, um, an age maximum of 55 years to be sent there. So you wouldn't be sent if you were older than 55. There were people documented who were 75 to 80 years old who were uh, sent to the work camp where they had to work for two liras a day um, with one lira going toward paying off the tax bill that they weren't able to pay themselves before getting arrested, under those conditions, some people would have to be in the work camp for 250 years to pay off their debt, um, or, or ridiculous periods of time like that. Um, it's estimated that 21 people died in in the work camps. I don't know that the art this book doesn't mention like the reliability of that number, like whether it would actually be much higher or if it's about accurate. Um, So I'm hoping that means it's accurate and there wasn't further loss of life, um, but it's it's not super clear to me. The minorities were obviously terrorized by this. This was deeply traumatic, unsurprisingly. The press was just rabid. They were super, they were blaring about how, you know, the minorities were hoarding away money that could help Turkey overcome its difficult economic period and help it you know, help its security in this time of global war, implying that um, the minorities were very happy and greedily exploiting um, innocent, hardworking, you know, normal Turks, quote-unquote normal Turks. So the atmosphere was one of, like, a, an ethnic Turk would be, like, very, ha- very happy with what was going on because, like, they were being told in every every medium that they would encounter that, this this was a dangerous group of people who needed to you know their wealth needed to be redirected to the right places again air quotes right places um of course the this was completely illegal by the terms of the La- lausanne treaty um they weren't allowed you know the state was not allowed to discriminate against minorities this was blatantly discriminatory and folks you know civilians Outside of Turkey, foreigners who were who were hearing about this were disturbed and were talking about it, but it wasn't enough to get the attention of outside powers because everyone was in the middle of World War II um, and not interested in introducing kind of a new thing to the list or a new front or anything. So neutral Turkey was kind of good (laughs) with everyone. Um, They didn't want to poke the bear. One interesting thing that I learned from the book that I didn't see elsewhere was that uh, Cyrus or Cyprus, they they wrote Cyprus here. I'm thinking his name wasn't Cyprus. Anyway, uh, Solzberger, the man who was the publisher of the New York Times, I think the New York Times is still in the Solzberger family's hands um, or until very recently it was. He actually used to summer in Turkey and and in 1943, he heard about the work camps and he heard about this grossly discriminatory tax um, and he wrote an op-ed that he published in his own newspaper, and that caused such an uproar in the U.S. and across the press in the U.S. and then internationally that essentially the Turkish government was shamed into dropping the wealth tax, and that was a huge reason for dropping. It literally dropped; they literally got rid of it four days after the article ran. Wow, so so that's I think wild! You can, yeah, you can draw kind of a straight line to that op-ed and and the outrage. Um, and the wealth tax going away and the work camps being shut down people being, you know, liberated from them. Um, overall, I, I know Wikipedia has a slightly different number, but I, I think I think it's safe to say um, that the number the uh, the the lira figure of the money confiscated as a result of this tax was 300 ish million lira. And this was at a time when the Lira and dollar were pretty much toe to toe. So right nowadays, inflation and, and, and Forex and stuff is insane. And th- you know it's not one-to-one um, in terms of dollars and Liras, but back then it was, it was about 315 million Lira according to, to this book. And 280 million of those Liras came from minorities and the rest came from, I guess, ethnic Turks um, who were taxed a tiny bit. Let me see. Oh, so as I mentioned, deeply traumatized minorities means more more, um, emigration out of Turkey. Um, The state of Israel, big place for Jews to go, obviously. Greeks went not only to Greece, but Canada, Australia, other places, the US. Um, uh, Let me see what else. that's pretty much i mean there i could go into more detail about any of the points i made but that was already a lot so (laughs) yes i'll stop (laughs)
1: that was great thank you (laughs) yeah that was very very interesting i wish we could have a class with you eski yeah
2: (laughs) i completely vandalized this book i like wrote all over it sorry professor
0: but yes (laughs) We are going to move on to our favorite and final section which is what the fuck sultan of success and fatwa's hit list okay what the fucks what do you have driving off twice, <laughs> twice
1: <laughs> <in the rain. laughs> oh, not is peachy after all
0: very
2: peachy i think
1: it's it's very bizarre cuz this show like doesn't have that many what the fucks as opposed to our other It shows. really yeah. doesn't.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah. It's more like people's behavior on the show as opposed to like wow, what were you thinking, screenwriter?
0: <laughs> yeah. I have what the fuck to old-timey irons cuz Matilda is ironing and it looks mm-hmm. terrifying. You can like see the hot coals inside yeah. of it. Very scary. Yeah. Everything about her cleaning lady job is terrifying to me
2: (laughs) yeah just like the random safety pin that might like cut your hand off and the
0: giant vats of boiling water that they're yeah everything bad
2: yeah i'm like i would be all over that green room backstage job like immediately like (laughs) uh say those sedums a big baby like much better (laughs) than
0: deadly laundry i will hang your clothes and fetch some ice that's no problem (laughs) more serious what the fuck is like shouldn't shouldn't um rachel be a little bit less naive like she's so naive like when she learns that matilda's a murderer she's like how could anyone be so evil it's like if you were growing up as an orphan in like 1940s istanbul i feel like you couldn't possibly be that naive that's I don't a good know. point. maybe that's just my like vision of Oliver Twist
1: speaking but like no, but also Oliver.
2: like how much she trusts Ismet too like you should really mm-hmm. like where's your self-preservation
1: that's <laughs> what I was gonna say like she's she's a woman like I mean this is gonna sound horrible but I think it's just true like as women we're raised to like take care of ourselves and not put ourselves in like bad situations where bad things can happen to us or be or we can get taken advantage of like in different ways so it seems to me like an orphan would know. Cause like, I mean, an orphanage in theory is like not a bad place to be, but it is usually a place for like abuse and other things and like grooming. So I don't know. It's just confusing that she thinks that the world is so like fairy tale slash she's Cinderella, but like nothing bad really happens. Mm -hmm. Yep.
0: Any other WTFs? nope what a disappointingly good show (laughs) (laughs) um okay give me our sultan of success uh seydan for like getting everything he wants i don't know (laughs) but he did spend the first three quarters of the episode sitting in a room being depressed yeah yeah i was gonna nominate orhan because he got he has a very successful show in his club. He was able to have opening night. He gave Selim the pep talk that made it happen. Okay. Um, he's on top of the world. But I also liked Matilda this episode, fucking with Chela B. That's one of my favorite things that she does. So I don't know.
1: Yeah, I don't really have a Sultan of Success. I have a candidate for Fatima's hit list, but. I think we all have the same one. Yeah.
0: Fatima's hit list in this show is so easy. <laughs> uh but who's our Sultan of Success? I like Orhan. Yeah. Okay. Two yeah. okay. Cool. Fatima's hit list. Who do you have it's in Smith. mind, Sophia? is it
1: obvious? I
2: yeah, I was surprised that you were both like, oh duh. It's, it can only be one person because I'm like, I can see, I can see like multiple people. <laughs> I, mean,
0: I like, oh, duh, me. was like, oh duh, it's televi. And Sophia's like, oh duh, it's <laughs> that.
2: I mean, but me, wh- I thought you both were gonna be like, oh duh, it's mash. <laughs> so <laughs> at least you didn't say her.
0: <laughs> I mean, for me personally, it's Michelle, yeah. but <laughs>
2: Yeah, I think Chalabi's worse than pets but that was pretty bad. This I mean, he's too.
1: he's he's worse, but in this episode, like in terms of explicit things that happened, yeah, well, actually, I mean, he didn't actually rape someone in the episode. Which oh wow, what a, is buried up is from the previous episode?
0: <laughs> no, I do agree. Like uh, we gave it to Chalabi last episode, so we could we branch be- out and yeah. give it to Ismet yeah. this episode, I'm sure Chalabi will come back for his crown.
2: Yeah. <laughs> he'll, he'll be mad by episode four he needs, <laughs> he needs he's gonna want it back
0: all right well thank you all so much for listening congratulations to our salsa of success Orhan, and watch out to ismet but also to Fatima fatma still coming for both of you none of you didn't get a reprieve like you should still be worried <laughs> uh, next time we're talking about the club episode four And we'll talk to you guys next time.